we are going to make a little start. Um, so if I haven't met you before, my name's Emma. I'm part of the team here at KXC. Um, and it's great to see you guys today. It's total joy to come and speak to you. Um, last week, Pete kicked off our new teaching series called Miracles, looking at the signs and wonders of the kingdom of God. And we're hungry to see what's contained in the pages of Scripture, like break out in our midst today. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking some of the key themes that we see in Jesus' ministry, like asking what it might look like for each of us to grow in partnering with God to see his kingdom break out. Like not just as we gather here together on a Sunday, but throughout our weeks, being people who are expectant that God can and wants to use us for his kingdom purposes. And so last week, Pete mapped out a bit of theology um, for miracles, like specifically looking at healing and God's willingness to heal. Like looking why we believe um, as a church that God heals today. And more than that, that we want to be a church that is praying and contending for that. And if you didn't catch um, last week's message, please do go back and have a little listen to it because it gives a great foundation um, for how we want to approach this topic like with real kind of pastoral sensitivity and theological nuance, like being real about kind of the pain and disappointment of situations where we haven't seen those breakthroughs, whilst at the same time, like still praying and contending for these miracles, like rather than kind of growing cynical, like keeping our hearts open and expectant that God can and is moving in power. So we are looking at holiness today. Um, and at first glance, this could look like a bit of a random topic, like what on earth does holiness have to do with miracles? And yet what we see in the pages of Scripture, like what we see throughout church history, it, that, is that there's a connection between like being set apart for Jesus and seeing greater kingdom activity. Like in other words, like the more we make room for God in our lives, the more he is able to move through us. And I don't know how you feel when you hear the word holiness. Like for many people, it's a topic where all of a sudden the walls come up, like we start shifting a bit more uncomfortably in our seats, like what is she going to say? Um, and yet, like at best, holiness is kind of understood as like boring. It's seen as this like journey into the beige. Um, like living a holy life means saying no to everything, going to bed at a reasonable hour, living a life of just total dullness. And at its worst, like we think control like we're becoming legalistic. Feelings of shame or unworthiness can get stirred up within us. Like inside the church, like church culture hasn't been great at this often. It's often twisted or weaponized this topic and has caused some real damage at times. Like outside of the church, like we live in a society that deems holiness as evil. Like the greatest sin according to our society is to still believe in sin. Like the narrative of our culture believes that is, is that what people need saving from is the idea they need saving at all. And it's all of this baggage, all of these thoughts that we bring into the room when we talk about this topic. So what does holiness actually mean? Well, the literal translation is to be set apart. And the crucial thing here is that we're not simply set apart from the world. Holiness is being set apart for the world. It's about saying like, Lord, I want to live a life so devoted to you. I want to make space in my life for you to rule and reign in order that I might carry your presence to a world that desperately needs it. 
Like when we look at Jesus, we see a vision of holiness that doesn't make Jesus hide from the world. Neither does it drive people away from him. Like instead, we see a vision of holiness that sees Jesus become the most attractive to the most hurting, to the most broken, as he comes with power to redeem their stories. Like that is the vision of holiness that we want to go after. Like people who make more and more room for the presence of God in our lives in order that we might carry the power of God to a broken and hurting world and see stories right across this city of London redeemed and rewritten. Like far from it being a journey into the beige, like walking in holiness takes ground for the kingdom of heaven. Like it pushes back the powers of darkness. And if you're a Christian here today, like that is the invitation on your life, like to carry the power of God to a hurting world and growing in holiness is central to that. So can I just pray for us as we begin? Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence in this space. And we just declare you Lord afresh, Lord of our lives, of this city, of this world. Lord, come and open our hearts today to hear from you. And I just pray that these words I'm about to say will be used for your glory. Amen. Amen. So if we want to recapture this vision of holiness, then the starting point isn't our activity. Like holiness absolutely impacts our lives and how we live. But if we start there, then we're very quickly going to fall into this trap of thinking that holiness is a status that we can obtain or earn. And not only is that bad theology, but it's also just going to lead to us feeling exhausted and disappointed. Instead, if we want to grasp hold of a scriptural vision for holiness, we do not start with our activity. Like we start instead with the very character and nature of God. So we're going to use a framework that we often use at KXC to help us do this. Um, And it starts with God's being. Like who God is, his very nature, which affects his doing, like his actions in the world towards us which affects our um, being, it kind of defines and shapes our identity, which then in turn affects how we act in the world. So we're just going to move through each of these stages today. So let's just begin with the first one, God's being. So last week, Pete talked about one of the names of God being Yahweh Rafi, meaning God is healer. And this is one of several compound names um, in the Old Testament for God. And these names don't just tell us about what God does, but they're like windows into the character and nature of who God is. And another name for God that we find in the Old Testament is Yahweh Mkadash. Um, let's say that together. Yahweh Mkadash. Mm, yeah, lovely. Um, this literally translated, it means God who sanctifies or God who makes holy. And the first time this name appears is in the book of Leviticus, everyone's favourite book. Um, Leviticus chapter 20. And this is what God says to his people. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Like Yahweh M. Kadesh. And I don't know how you feel about the book of Leviticus. Um, It's not exactly the easiest of books to read, right? There's lots of laws around kind of ritual purity, what not to eat, what to eat. Um, I think it's affectionately known as the book where the Bible in a year goes to die. Um, Like you hit this book around mid-February and after reading quite a few chapters on mildew regulations, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to give this a go another year. Like without context, this book is incredibly hard to read. But the central question, the thing you need to know about Leviticus, the central question to it is how can a holy God reside with his people? 
And crucially, it's not a question of how people can earn God's love. Like God's love, he has already chosen them. He's already rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He's entered into a covenant relationship with them. He loves them already. Like the question isn't how the Israelites can somehow win the favour of God. It's how can a holy God, how can his presence dwell with a people who in different ways have embraced death? And the book of Leviticus is instructions to the Jewish people about how to consecrate themselves, how to set themselves apart before God so they can enjoy his presence. And so when we're told that God is holy, it's not simply because he goes to bed at 10pm every night and never struggles with road rage. Like holiness is deeper than activity. It actually is who God is. The most helpful image I've heard of this is um, a comparison to the sun. Like the sun is unique in our solar system. It's the source of all of this life on earth. You wouldn't say that the sun is lacking in darkness. It just is pure light. And so everything around the sun is infected with this light as well. And the closer you get to the sun, like the more intense it gets, the more that darkness is eaten up. But there's a problem here because humanity wedded itself to darkness. Like we chose to walk away from God and in doing so, we inevitably embraced death. We became slaves to sin. And to God and humanity, they're ripped apart, they're divided. And in this story, and this story, sorry, is the Bible, the story of the Bible is basically the story of a holy God on a mission to be reunited with his kids once again. God longs to deal with sin and death and darkness once and for all. And this is what Jesus came to do. Like Jesus led a holy, a sinless life. He set himself apart, consecrated himself for us in order that we might be made holy and live in the fullness of God's presence again. So if God's being is holy, like what is his action towards us? Well, he doesn't turn away. Like it's not that he removes himself from us in case he becomes, you know, infected with our unholiness. It's the exact opposite. It's one of wholehearted devotion to us. Like for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him, like their sins are forgiven. They are made clean. They're made holy. And this wholehearted devotion um, of Jesus, this vision of holiness leads to extraordinary life breaking out around him. Like this is what we see throughout the gospel stories. Like Jesus's holiness doesn't lead him away from the world. It leads him right into the midst of the messiest, most chaotic stories with the power to push back darkness. Like he restores the shalom, the peace of the rule and reign of God. And spoiler alert, like this is our call as well. Like following in the footsteps of a holy God means running towards the mess. Like we've somehow reduced following Jesus to having like a quiet time each day and trying to fit a Sabbath in once a week if we're lucky. But as important as those things are, like that isn't all of what it means to follow Jesus. Like to be a disciple of him is to do the things he did. He meant for us to move in the same power that he operated in. So what is this power that he operates with? What did this holy set apart life for the world look like? And we read this in Matthew 4. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Like Jesus's primary message, the thing that he spoke most often about was the breaking in of the kingdom of God. 
And this kingdom, it's a place where the rule and reign of God goes uncontested. Like this would have been scandalous to the people of his time because he's basically saying that through him, a reversal of Genesis 3 is going to take place. Like the kingdom of God is life as God created it to be in the beginning. So no suffering, no sickness, no pain. Relationship with God, with ourselves, with one another restored. Like that's the message that Jesus came to proclaim. And just as a side note, like isn't that an incredible news? Like right now in a world that feels chaotic, full of chaos on our TV screens, violence, pain, like in our own lives when we're suffering with sickness, like mental health, isn't it unbelievable that Jesus came? Like he is God who's come with good news to proclaim. But we read that he didn't just announce it, like he demonstrates it. And this is intimately connected to his holiness. Like he sets himself apart for the world and filled with the spirit, he goes around setting the captives free, healing the sick, raising the dead, driving out demons, restoring right order to a world in chaos. Jesus doesn't just say the kingdom of God is at hand, he demonstrates that it's at hand. Because this kingdom is not just a statement, it's not just something we intellectually engage with, it's not just something we listen to about on podcasts, like it's something that we get to experience. So in the person of Jesus, we see that God's vision of holiness is expressed as wholehearted devotion to his people. And it's this activity of God that shapes our being. Like God's wholehearted devotion to the world makes a way for us to be made holy. In Matthew 8, Jesus encounters a man with leprosy and Matthew tells us this story about it. He says, a man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand. He touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. And this story, it's scandalous in so many ways. Like leprosy, it was a skin disease which made you ceremonially unclean. So it meant that he wouldn't have been able to enter the temple. You were only able to enter once whatever was causing you to be unclean had gone and you'd gone through the necessary purification rites. And so if you were a leper where there was no cure for your skin disease, you would never be able to enter the temple to go to the house of God. And yet what did this leper discover? Like he discovered the extraordinary truth that a holy God had come to him. Like when Jesus touched him, Jesus' holiness wasn't affected. He wasn't made unclean. But because of Jesus, this man was made holy. Like the very people who should never have been able to enter the holy of holies were the ones who got to stand face to face before the living God. Like as I've been um, reading this passage this week, I've just been struck by what made the leper do this. Like, what was it about Jesus that made him think that this holy rabbi would be different? Like, he wouldn't scorn him like the rest of this community. Maybe he'd heard stories that this rabbi had already associated with people who were unclean. Maybe he was just so desperate he was willing to try and anything and just risk rejection again. But as this leper comes in vulnerability before Jesus, like not hiding his wounds but bringing them to him, he doesn't find himself shamed. Like he isn't rejected as the rest of the crowds have done his whole life. It's as he presents all of who he is before the holiness of Jesus that he finds restoration. Like physically, he's healed from his skin condition. 
Emotionally, he's accepted where everyone else has avoided him for years. Like spiritually, he's made clean and can enter God's presence again. But like the tragedy is that so many of us hide our deepest wounds from Jesus. Like we think that a holy God would disapprove of us. Like heap more shame upon already fragile hearts. And so we cover up those things because we couldn't bear God to judge us as well. We cover up those wounds, the things we've done. Like the addictions we can't seem to break. Or maybe it's things that we have been done to us that have wounded us so deeply that we're left feeling anything but whole. But as Tyler said a couple of weeks ago, like those wounds don't just go away. Instead, they become a source of shame that we end up living from. Like we try to make ourselves feel worthy by pouring energy into succeeding in other areas of life or keeping up appearances in public and, you know, trying to numb the pain that we feel inside, that feeling that there's something wrong with us. And yet the invitation that Jesus gives us, it isn't to try harder like to earn our way into holiness. The invitation is to take what we're most ashamed of, the thing we think disqualifies us the most, and in vulnerability, present it to him and say like, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. And as we do that, like Jesus reaches out his hand to us. Like he ignores the shock of the crowd. He he disrespects the proper protocols. And we hear the voice of our saviour proclaim over our lives, I am willing, be clean. Like I am the God who makes you holy, who will restore and rewrite your story. And I just felt like there was some um, in the room today where you know there's a wound you've been covering up. Like there's an area of shame in your life that's caused you to feel unworthy. And so when we talk about holiness, like your heart sinks because you think that could never be me, that I could never be holy. Like if that's you today, I just think there's an invitation to you. I think like Jesus wants to meet you. He wants, you know, that invitation to present that wound to him and to hear over your life that because of the blood of Jesus, you are made clean like to embark on that journey of Jesus rewriting your story. Paul says that for those in Christ, for those who turn to him, you are a new creation. Like the old has gone, the new has come. In Colossians 1, he says that because of Jesus's death, we are holy in God's sight, without blemish, free from accusation. And this is what we're invited into. This is the story, the good news of Jesus, learning to live out the identity that he's won for us on the cross, made possible through him. So going back to our framework, like what is the response of all of this? Well, if God's holiness led to his wholehearted devotion to us, then we are called as God's holy people to wholehearted devotion to him. Like we set ourselves apart for him. We orientate our whole lives, our hearts, our thoughts, our actions around the person of Jesus. And another word for this is consecration. Like we say no to certain things in order that we can give our yes fully to him. Like practically, consecration looks like being with Jesus, like spending time carving out space in prayer, like making sure that he is the object of our worship. It means becoming like him, like following his teachings as laid out in scripture, like living how he lived. And then it involves doing the things he did. 
And just another shout out, like for pattern again, like pattern is one of the ways that we move and grow in consecration in our lives. And so if that's something you want to learn more about, do head to the website, sign up to the training night. Um, It's an amazing tool that we've got here. So what is this consecrated life all about? Well, just as Jesus lived a life consecrated to God and moved in supernatural power, like the same is true for us. Like the more we make room for God in our lives, the more he is able to move through us. And don't hear me wrong, like this isn't formulaic. You know, it's not like if you pray a bit more, then you get the power to heal headaches or something like that. It doesn't quite work like that. But there is a connection between our willingness to surrender our lives to Jesus, to die to ourselves, to be obedient to his teaching and seeing him move through us with power and operate in greater spiritual authority. In Acts 1, 8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Like in other words, the life message and ministry of Jesus is carried on in the life message and ministry of you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Like God is wanting to form disciples who move in his power, power not as the world sees it, but power that bears witness to the resurrection of Christ, that rewrites broken stories, that transforms unjust structures in our society. And that comes through living lives of wholehearted devotion to him, like consecrating ourselves for the sake of the world. And it is not easy. Like it feels like death because it is. Like it is dying to self, to what we want, to our desires, and instead surrendering everything to Jesus. Like it's totally countercultural. Charles Taylor, um, he's a philosopher who's written lots about the secular age, and he writes about this shift that has happened um, in the Western world over the past 50 years or so. And it's a shift from what he calls a culture of authority, where your kind of moral and spiritual authority was external. So it was located externally in God or parents, tradition, philosophy. Um, Something external told you how to live. And he says there's been a shift to now what is a culture of authenticity. And here your plumb line for what is right or wrong isn't external, it's internal. It's located in the self, you become the authority. And more than that, any form of external authority is deemed as controlling and harmful. Like no wonder pursuing holiness is so countercultural in our world today. Because at its core, holiness means laying down your autonomy and giving total control to Jesus. Like wholehearted devotion, not to ourselves or what we want, but wholehearted devotion to God and obeying his vision of life. Like it's a direct challenge to the idol of our generation, to the idol of self. Undivided devotion to Jesus isn't easy. It is a sacrifice to hand over control. To be with Jesus, become like him, to do the things he did is hard. It's a lot easier just to settle for consuming Christian content while still keeping hold of the reins. So like, what are we really devoted to? Like a great question to ask yourself is where is the limit of my obedience? Like if Jesus asked me to give me that up, then we're going to have a problem. Like that's how we start to work out like what our life is orientated around. KP um, Yohanan, he was born in India and pioneered like a missionary organisation um, that raises up evangelists and church planters across Asia. Not this KP. <laughs> Although it might be a prophetic word, weigh that. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, no, he, the guy 
born in India, raised up, evangelist, church planters, um, incredible person. But he um, wrote a book and in it, he speaks about the first time that he visited America. And this is what he said. He said, I found that believers are ready to get involved in almost any activity which looks spiritual, but allows them to escape the responsibility to the gospel. Ouch. (laughs) Like we buy the books, we consume the content, podcast talks, but if that is all it ever is, like consuming content, agreeing intellectually, but there's no consecration of the heart, no surrender of the will to Jesus, then all that stuff ever is, is entertainment. Like without consecration, we find ourselves just living the same as everyone else in this city. Like accumulating possessions at the same rate as everyone else around us. Or like coincidentally, we just seem to progress up the career ladder at the same expected rate. Like we find our concerns seem to be exactly the same concerns as our friends. Like how long should we be here for? Will we ever be able to afford dot, dot, dot? Like you fill in the blank. And none of these things are wrong in and of themselves but they're not the totality of the life that you have been called to. Like we're not called to a life that's orientated around ourselves. We're called to wholehearted devotion to Jesus and his kingdom. Like Simon Ponsonby, he puts it like this. He says, we're pursuing the wrong things. Our appetites are after the wrong affections. We're spiritually contented and materially discontented happy with where we are with God and unhappy with where we are with our investments, our pension funds and our possessions. Like Paul was the opposite. He'd learned to be materially content, happy with whatever he had, and yet he remained spiritually discontent, hungry to gain more first-hand knowledge of Christ, always seeking to go further up, further in, making more and more room for God in his life so that Christ might be displayed through him. Like, I don't know where you find yourself today. Like, just being honest, this has been a hard talk to write. I found it really challenging. And it's easy to feel far from this vision of life and just to kind of feel a bit of sense of weariness when it comes to our faith. But I just want to encourage you today, do not let weariness turn to apathy. Like, don't become so accustomed to a life without the power of God. Like my prayer for myself, like for all of us today, is that any apathy would turn into holy discontent. And I just wonder if for some here today, like Jesus is just gently nudging you. And in his kindness, he's saying, hey, like the life you're leading, the things that you're filling your time with, the way you're living, like this wasn't what you were made for. Like he's calling you out of what the city has defined as a good life and into a life of total dependence on him. One that is absolute foolishness in the eyes of the world, but one that can bring the rule and the reign of God to the streets of London. Like I think he wants to just release boldness in this room again today to stop being satisfied with reading stories about Jesus and to actually live in the inheritance of the power of the Spirit. As you survey scripture, as you look um, at stories throughout church history, fresh outpourings of the Spirit come to people who come to a new place of surrender to God, like people who make more and more room in their lives for him. And the way that we do that, and I'm just going to land with this, but the first step on that road is repentance, like recognising and identifying where we've given our devotion to something else and turn back to Jesus. And like, this is for all of us. Like, repentance is a daily thing. It's something we never grow out of. Like, the moment that you stop repenting is the moment you stop growing. 
Like, neither is it meant to evoke shame. Like, repentance is liberating. It's how we actually become more and more like Jesus. It's how we live in the freedom of all he's called us to be. A few months ago, we hosted um, some of the university students who were at Asbury. And um, for those who don't know, like earlier this year, Asbury, which is at a uni in the States, um, it witnessed this incredible outpouring of the Spirit of God. Um, and it started one morning, very average chapel service. But just a handful of hungry students stayed and carried on worshipping. And the Spirit of God fell. And thousands of students, they encountered the love of God, like people giving their lives to Jesus. Healings, like deliverance from the demonic, just the tangible presence of his Spirit. And, you know, this is the stuff that we're longing to see happen in King's Cross, right? It happened just a few months ago in the States. Like, God is on the move today. Like, let's keep pushing in and praying for that. But Asbury, it was a move of God marked by repentance and consecration. And when we hosted some of these students who were there, when it all started, like, what they spoke about most was the wave of repentance that they experienced as they realised that the life they were living wasn't the life they were made for. And these students, they just carried like a joy and a freedom. Like, I don't know if you've ever met with people who have just like encountered God and you're like, what, tell me more. Like, you just look free. Um, and they were telling stories of what happened in that place. And they said it was like repentance without condemnation. People were just coming, confessing sin, turning from sin, not because they felt like they needed to be a better person, but because they were just hungry to see God in a way that they'd never seen him before. And sin and shame, it was acting as a barrier to the life that they knew they were now called into. And they were telling stories of people just coming to the front without any prompting, just wanting to get right with God because they'd suddenly realised that his life for them, this vision of holiness, was so much better than what they were living right now. They were just freely confessing mindsets that were acting as barriers to giving undivided devotion to Jesus. Like the need for approval from people. Or like the need to be in control, fear of failure, or things that they felt ashamed of, like porn addictions, like self-hatred, mindsets of apathy and indifference to God. And they were saying how as they were confessing these things to Jesus, these wounds which they'd covered up for so long were being healed and they were being turned into scars that testified to Jesus' grace. Like the thing that we're ashamed to talk about, like the struggles that we would never bring up in conversations with a stranger, were the things that they were just freely talking about because those wounds didn't define them any longer. Like those feelings of self-hatred or struggle with porn or that thing they stole when they were like younger and have always felt shame over, like those things no longer defined them. They were just scars that pointed to the transforming power of God's grace. And there's a journey that they now have to walk out in those different areas, but they're not defined by those things any longer. And that is the gift of repentance. Like, that is what it means to consecrate ourselves. Like, do you know that level of freedom in your life? Like, this is what Jesus does. It is what he wants for each of us. Jesus' vision of holiness, it frees the captives. It restores the broken. And I just think there's an invitation for us here today, not only to experience that for ourselves, but to be a people who in response live out that vision of holiness, like lives that proclaim and demonstrate that to this city as well. And that is only going to be a work of the Spirit.